This episode of Voices in AI is brought to you by Austin-based design consultancy Argo Design that gave us visions of the future like the Ambulance Drone, Wire One, the Echo Fresh Fridge, and Amazon Bin. Argo is shaping and designing for the new computing paradigm being ushered in by artificial intelligence. Learn more about Argo at argodesign.com. Hello, this is Voices in AI, brought to you by GigaOM. I am your host, Byron Reese. Today, we welcome Jeff Dean onto the show. Jeff is a Google Senior Fellow, and he leads the Google Brain Project. His work probably touches my life and maybe yours uh, about every hour of every day. So I can't wait to uh, begin the conversation. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hi, Byron. This is Jeff Dean. How are you? I'm really good, Jeff. Thanks for taking the time to chat. You went to work for Google, I believe, in the second millennium. Is that true? Yes, I did, in 1999. So the company wasn't even a year old at that time. That's right, yeah. It was pretty small. We were all kind of wedged in the second floor office area uh, above a, what's now a T-Mobile store in downtown Palo Alto. And did it feel like a startup back then, you know, all the, all the normal trappings that you would associate with one? Uh, we had a ping pong table, I guess. Uh, that was also doubled as where we served food for lunch. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it felt exciting and vibrant. And, and uh, you know, we were trying to build a search engine that people would want to use. And so there was a lot of... A lot of a lot of work in that area, which is exciting. And so over the last um, 17 years, just touch on, it's, it's an amazing list of the various things you worked on. Uh, sure. I mean, so the, the first thing I did was put together kind of the initial skeleton of our, what became our advertising system. Um, and I worked on that for a little while. But then mostly for the next four or five years, I spent my time with a handful of other people kind of really working on our core uh, search system. That's everything from the crawling system that goes out and fetches all the pages on the web that we can get our hands on to the indexing system that then turns that into a system um, that we can actually query quickly when users are asking uh, a question. You know, when they type something into Google, we want to be able to very quickly analyze what pages are going to be relevant for that query and return the results that we return today. Uh, and then the serving system that, when a query comes into Google, uh, decides how to distribute that request over lots and lots of computers to have them farm out, uh, you know, farm that work out, um, and then combine the results of of their individual analyses into something that we can then return back to the user. All right, and now and so that was kind of a pretty long stretch of time where I worked on on the core search. Uh, an indexing system. And uh, now you lead the Google Brain Project. What What is that? Right. So it's uh, basically we have a fairly large research effort around um, doing machine learning and artificial intelligence research and then using the results of our research to make intelligent systems. Um, where that an intelligent system might be something that is, you know, something that goes into a product. It might be something that enables new kinds of products. Uh, it might be, um, you know, some combination of that. When we're working with uh, 
getting things into existing products. We often collaborate closely with different Google product teams to get the results of our work uh, out into to products. Um, and then we also do a lot of research that is sort of pure research untied to any particular product. It's just something that we think you know, will advance the, the capabilities of the kinds of systems we're able to build. And ultimately will be useful even if we don't have a particular uh, application in mind at the moment. So artificial intelligence is that phrase that everybody kind of disowns it. But what does it mean to you? What, what is AI when you're just kind of thinking when you just think about it, like what, what is it? How would you define it in simple English? Right. So, it, I mean, it's a term that's been around since the very beginning of computing. And I, to me, it means essentially trying to build something that uh, appears intelligent. So the way we distinguish humans from, you know, other organisms is that we have these higher level intelligence capabilities where we can communicate, we can absorb information and understand it at a very high level. We can, you know, imagine the consequences of doing different things uh, as we decide how we're going to behave in the world. And so we want to build um, systems that embody, you know, as many aspects of intelligence as we can. And sometimes those aspects are narrowly defined, like we want them to be able to do a particular task that, uh, um, we think is important and requires uh, kind of narrow intelligence. But we also want to build systems that are sort of flexible in their intelligence and they can, you know, do many different things. And I think the narrow intelligence aspects are working pretty well in some, some areas today. The broad, really flexible intelligence is clearly an open research problem and is going to consume people for you know a long time to actually figure out how to build systems that can um, behave intelligently across uh, a huge range of conditions it's interesting that you that you emphasize behave intelligently or appear intelligently so you think it's artificial intelligence like artificial turf isn't really turf so the system isn't really intelligent it is emulating intelligence would you agree with that I mean I would say it, it exhibits many of the same characteristics that we think of when we think of intelligence. It may be doing things differently because I think, you know, uh, biology and silicon have very different strengths and weaknesses. Um, but ultimately what you care about is can this um, system or agent uh, operate in a manner that is useful and, and uh, can augment what human intelligence can do. You mentioned AGI, an artificial general intelligence. The range of estimates on when we would get such a technology are somewhere between five and 500 years. Why do you think there's such a wide disparity in what people think? I think there's a huge range there because there's a lot of uncertainty about what we actually need. We, we don't quite know how humans process all the different kinds of information that they receive. and formulate strategies. You know, we have some understanding of that. We don't have deep understanding of that. And so that means we don't really know the scope of work that we need to do to uh, sort of um, build systems that exhibit similar behaviors. And that leads to these wildly varying estimates. You know, some people think it's right around the corner. Some think it's, you know, nearly impossible. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I think 
we've made a lot of progress in the last, you know, five or 10 years, uh, building on stuff that was done in the 20 or 30 years before that. And I think um, we will have systems that kind of exhibit pretty broad kinds of intelligence, maybe in the next 20 or 30 years, but you know, I have high error bars on those estimates. And the way you describe that, it sounds like you think an AGI is an evolution from the work we're doing now, as opposed to it being something completely different we don't even know you know we haven't really started working on the agi problem would you agree with that or not um i mean i think some of what we're doing is starting to touch on the kinds of work that we'll need to build artificial general intelligence systems um i i think we have a huge set of things that we don't know how to solve yet and that we don't even know that we need yet uh which is why this is an open and exciting research problem. Um, but I do think some of the stuff we're doing today will be part of the solution. So you think you'll live to see an AGI while you're still kind of in your prime? Uh, well, I the future is unpredictable. I could have a bike accident tomorrow or something, but uh, I think if, if you look out 15 or 20 years, um, there'll be, you know, things that are not really imaginable, but we don't have today that will do impressive things 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Would that put us on our way to an AGI being conscious? Or is machine consciousness a completely different thing that we may, that may or may not be possible? Um, I don't really know. I mean, I, I tend not to get into these philosophical debates of what is consciousness. You know, to my unframed neuroscience eye, consciousness is really just a certain kind of electrical activity in the neurons in uh, a living system. You know, that it can be aware of itself, that it can understand consequences and so on. And so from that standpoint, consciousness doesn't seem like a uniquely special thing. It seems like a property that uh, is similar to other properties that intelligent systems exhibit. So absent your bicycle crash, what would that world look like? A world 20 years from now when we've made incredible strides in what AI can do and maybe have something that's close to being an AGI. How do you think that plays out in the world? Is that is that good for humanity? Uh, I think it will almost uniformly be good. I mean, I think if you look at technological improvements in the past, um, major things like the shift from an agrarian society to one that the Industrial Revolution fueled, that allowed you know what used to be 99% of people working to grow food, now is you know a, a few few percent of uh, people in um, uh, many countries now work on producing food supply, and that has freed up people to do many, many other things. All the other things we see in our society um, are a result of that big shift. Um, so I think, like any technology, there can be uses for it that are not so great, but there will be, uh, by and large, you know, the vast uh, set of things that happen will be improvements. I think the way to view this is a really intelligent sidekick is something that would really 
improve humanity. If I could have a question, a very complicated thing that today I can do via search engine if I sit down for nine hours or 10 hours and, you know, really think through, okay, I'm, um, you know, I really want to learn about a particular topic, so I need to find all these papers and then kind of read them and summarize them kind of conceptually myself. If I had an intelligent system that could do that for me, and I could say, find me all the papers on reinforcement learning for robotics and summarize them in German, and the system could go back and in, you know, 20 seconds do that, that would be hugely useful for humanity. Absolutely. So, how what what are some of the what are some of the challenges that you what are you what are some of the challenges that you think separate us from that world? Like, what are the what are the next obstacles we need to overcome in the field? So, one of the things that I think is really important today in the field of machine learning research that uh, we'll need to overcome is right now when we want to build a machine learning system for a particular task we tend to have a human machine learning expert involved in that. So we have some data, we have some computation uh, capability, and then we have a human machine learning expert sit down and decide, you know, okay, we want to solve this problem. Uh, uh, this is the way we're going to go about it roughly. And then we have the system that can learn from observations uh, that are provided to it how to accomplish that task. And that, that's sort of what generally works, and that's driving a huge number of really interesting things in the world today. And, you know, this is why computer vision has made such great strides in the last five years. This is why speech recognition works much better. This is why uh, machine translation now uh, works much, much better than it did uh, a year or two ago. Um, so that's hugely important. But the problem with that is you're building these narrowly defined uh, systems that can do one thing and do it extremely well or do a handful of things. And what we really want is a system that can, you know, do a hundred thousand things. And then when the hundred thousand and first thing comes along that it's never seen before, we want it to learn from its experience and be able to apply the experience it's gotten in solving the first hundred thousand things to be able to quickly learn how to do the hundred thousand first. And that kind of meta learning and you want that to happen without a human machine learning expert in the loop to teach it to do how to do the hundred thousand and first thing. And that might actually be your AGI at this point, right? It, I mean, it, it will start to look more like a system that can improve on itself over time and can add the ability to do sort of new novel tasks by building on what it already knows how to do. do so that's, Broadly speaking, that's transfer learning, right? Where we take something in one space and we use it to influence the other one. Is that a new area of study or is that something that people have thought about for a long time and we just hadn't gotten around to building a bunch of... Uh, people, have thought of people have thought about that for a, quite a while, uh, but usually in the context of like, I have a few tasks that I want to do and I'm going to learn to do three of them and then use the results of learning to do three to kind of do the fourth uh, better with less data, maybe for the fourth task. Not so much at the scale of a million tasks and then completely new ones come along and without any sort of uh, human involvement, the system can pick up and learn to do that new task. So I think that's the main difference is um, 
multitask learning and transfer learning have been done kind of with some success at very small scales. And we need to make it so that um, we can apply them at, you know, very large scales. And the other thing that's new is I think this meta-learning work that is starting to emerge in, as an important area of machine learning research. You know, essentially learning to learn. And that's where you'll be able to have a system that can, um, you know, see a completely novel task and learn to accomplish it based on its experience and maybe experiments that it conducts itself about what approaches it might want to try to solve this new task. And that's currently where we have a human in the loop to try to try different approaches and where um, we think this learning to learn research is going to, uh, you know, make faster progress. There are those who worry that advances in artificial intelligence will have implications for human jobs that eventually machines can learn new tasks faster than a human can, and then there's a group of people who are economically locked out of the productive economy. What are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, I think it's very clear that uh, computers are going to be able to automate some aspects of some kinds of jobs, and that those, um, the things they're gonna be able to automate is a growing set over time. Um, and, you know, that has happened before, like the shift from agrarian societies to um, sort of uh, industrial-based economy happened largely because we were able to automate a lot of the aspects of farm production, and that caused job displacement, but people found other, other things to do. And so I'm a bit of an optimist in general, and I think, you know, politicians and policymakers should be thinking about what the society structures uh, we want to have in place um, should be if, you know, computers can suddenly do a lot more things than they used to be able to do. But I think that's a, a largely a, a governmental and policy uh, set of issues. But I, my view is a lot of the things that computers will be able to automate are these kinds of repetitive tasks that humans currently do because uh, they're too complicated for our, you know, computers to learn how to do. So am I reading you correctly that you're not worried about a large number of workers displaced from their jobs from the technology? Well, I, I definitely think that there will be some job displacement and that's a, uh, and it's going to be uneven, right? Certain kinds of jobs are going to be much more amenable to automation than others. And I, the way I like to think about it is um, if you look at the set of things that a person does in their job, you know, if that's a handful of things that are all rep quite repetitive, that's something that's likely to be more likely to be automatable than someone whose job involves, you know, a thousand different things every day and you come in tomorrow and your job is, is pretty different from what you did today. And, and within that, like what, what, are, what are the things that you're working on on a, on a regular basis in, in AI right now? Um, so, uh, 
the, our group as a whole does a lot of different things. And so I, I'm leading our group and sort of helping provide some direction for some of the things we're doing. Um, the, some of the things uh, we're working on within our group that I'm personally involved in are the use of machine learning for various healthcare related problems. Um, I think machine learning has a real opportunity to uh, make a, a significant difference in how uh, healthcare is, is provided. Um, and uh, then I'm personally working on how can we actually build the right kinds of computer hardware and computer software systems that enable us to build uh, machine learning systems that uh, are, you know, that you can successfully try out lots of different machine learning ideas quickly, that you can build machine learning systems that can scale to large insects. Um, and so that's everything from working with our, our hardware design teams to make sure we build the right kinds of machine learning hardware. Uh, TensorFlow is an open source package that uh, our group has produced that uh, we've open sourced uh, about a year and a half ago. That is how we express our machine learning research ideas and use for uh, training machine learning systems for our products. And we've now sort of released that. So lots of people outside Google are using uh, this system as well and working collaboratively to improve it over time. Um, and then uh, we have a number of different kinds of research efforts. And I'm uh, personally following pretty closely our learning to learn efforts. Uh, because I think that's going to be a pretty important area. It, many people believe that if we build an AGI, it will come out of Google. Is that a possibility? Well, I mean, I think there's enough unknowns in what we need to do that it could come from anywhere. Uh, I think we have a fairly broad research effort because we think this is um, – you know, a pretty important field to, to push forward. Uh, and, you know, we certainly are, are working on building systems that can uh, do more and more. Um, but AGI is, is a pretty long-term goal, I would say. It isn't inconceivable that Google itself reaches some size, that it takes on some emergent properties that are, well, you know, I guess, by their definition, unforeseeable. Um, I... I don't quite know what that means, I guess. People are emergent, right? You know, you're a trillion cells that don't know who you are, but collectively, you know, none of your cells has a sense of humor, but you do. And so at some level, the entire system itself acquires characteristics that no part of it have. I mean, I don't mean it in any ominous way, just to say that it's when you start looking at numbers like, you know, numbers of connections in the human brain and whatnot, that we start seeing things of the same sort of orders in the digital world. It just invites one to speculate. Yeah, um, I mean, I think we're still, you know, a few orders of magnitude off in terms of like where the human, a single human brain is versus what sort of the capability of computing systems are. Um, we're maybe at like newt or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yes, I mean, presumably the goal is to build more intelligent systems. And as you add more computational capability, those systems will get more capable. Is it fair to say that the reason we've had such a surge in success 
with AI in the last decade is this kind of perfect storm of GPUs plus better algorithms plus better data collection, better training sets, you know, and plus Moore's Law at our back. Is it nothing more complicated than that, that there have just been a number of factors that have come together? Or, or did something happen, you know, some watershed event that maybe passed unnoticed that gave us this AI renaissance that we're in now? So I, let, me, let me frame it like this. So a lot of the algorithms that we're using today were actually developed, you know, 20, 25 years ago uh, during kind of the first upsurge in interest in neural networks, which is a particular kind of machine learning model. Uh, one that's working extremely well today, but 20 or 25 years ago, you know, showed interesting signs of life on kind of very small problems, but we lacked the computational uh, capabilities to make them really work well on large problems. So if you fast forward 20 years to, you know, maybe 2007, 2008, 2009, we started to have enough computational ability to, and data sets that were big enough and interesting enough to make neural networks work on sort of practical, interesting problems. Things like uh, computer vision problems or speech recognition problems. And um, what's happened is uh, neural networks have become the best way to solve many of these problems because we now have enough computational ability and big enough data sets. And we've done a bunch of work in kind of the last decade as well to augment the sort of foundational algorithms that uh, were developed 20, 30 years ago with kind of new techniques and, and new algorithms. And GPUs are one interesting aspect of that. But I think the fundamental thing is that um, a realization that neural nets in particular and these kinds of machine learning models really have different computational characteristics than most code you, you run today on computers. And those characteristics are that they essentially mostly do uh, linear algebra kinds of operations, matrix multiplies, vector operations, and that they're also fairly tolerant of reduced precision. So you don't need you know, six or seven digits of precision when you're doing the computations for a neural net. You need you know, many fewer bits of precision. And that allows those two factors together allow you to build specialized kinds of, of hardware for essentially very low precision linear algebra. And that's what's kind of augmented uh, the ability of us to apply more computation to some of these problems. GPUs being one, one thing, Google has developed a new kind of, of custom chip called a tensor processing unit, a TPU, that um, uses lower precision than GPUs and offers significant performance advantages, for example. And I think this is an interesting and exploding area because um, when building kind of specialized hardware that's tailored to uh, a subset of, of things as opposed to very general kinds of computations like a CPU does, you run the risk that that specialized subset is only a little bit of what you want to do in a computing system. But the thing that neural nets and machine learning models have today is that they're applicable to a really broad range of things. And so, you know, speech recognition and translation and computer vision and, and medicine and robotics 
all these things can use that same underlying set of primitives, you know, accelerated linear algebra to do vastly different things. And so you can build specialized hardware that applies to a lot of different things. I got you. All right. Well, I think we're about at that time. Do you have any closing remarks or any tantalizing things we might look forward to coming out of your work? Well, I think um, I'm, I'm very excited about a lot of different things. I'll, I'll just name a few. So uh, I think the use of machine learning for medicine and healthcare is going to be really important. Uh, it's going to be a, a huge aid to physicians and other healthcare workers to be able to give them sort of quick second opinions about what, what kinds of things might make sense for uh, patients or to like uh, look, interpret a medical image um, and, and give people advice about, you know, what kinds of things they should focus on in a, a medical image. Um, I'm very excited about robotics. I think machine learning for robotics is going to be a, an interesting and emerging field in the next, you know, five years, 10 years. Um, and I think this learning to learn uh, work will lead to more flexible systems that can learn to do new things without sort of requiring as much machine learning expertise. Um, and I think that's going to be pretty interesting to watch as that evolves. And then kind of beneath all the machine learning work, this uh, trend towards building customized hardware that is tailored to particular kinds of machine learning models is going to be an interesting one to watch over the next you know, five years, I think. All right. Well, I one, think one, one, one final thought, I guess, is that I think the field of machine learning has um, kind of the ability to touch not just computer science, but lots and lots of fields of human endeavor. And so I think there, it's a really exciting time as people realize this and want to enter this field and start to study and, and do machine learning research and understand the implications of machine learning for, you know, different fields of science or different kinds of application areas. And so that's been really exciting to see over the last five or eight years is more and more people from all different kinds of backgrounds are entering the field and doing, you know, really interesting, cool new work in this field. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time today. It has been a fantastically interesting hour. Okay, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. I would like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Argo Design. Argo is a product design consultancy, a growth partner to entrepreneurs, and an incubator of new experiences. Argo works with clients who share one common trait, the drive to create something innovative and valuable. Schedule a consultation or studio visit at Argo. Just email info at argodesign.com. 